By the middle of the 19th century, the railroads were the lifeblood of the nation. They carried everything, making them a prime target for robbers. The first moving train to ever be robbed left from Council Bluffs. The robbers were on the south side of the track and pulled the north rail. Not all robbers fared well. In Council Bluffs, the unknown dead bandit became a three-day wonder. And in 1920, some local hooligans hoping to net a few bucks robbed a train in Council Bluffs, pulling off the biggest robbery in the history of the world. I'm Richard Warner, and these are our stories coming up on Accidentally Historic. Back, 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 back. Step into our time machine. Real stories of real people. Some good, some bad, some very strange. And all accidentally historic. Among the dangers of working on the rails was the potential of being robbed by thieves. One such incident involves the James Gang robbery of the Rock Island Line in 1873. Council Bluffs Daily non It's July 22nd, 1873. A startling story was in circulation late last night to the effect that the train that left this city yesterday afternoon in charge of conductor Billy Smith and engineer Jackson Rafferty had been thrown from the track between Atlantic and Casey. Jack Rafferty shot and the mail robbed. Seven masked men made a raid upon the train, robbed the mail car, and then mounted their horses and struck in a southerly direction. Special trains left this city and Des Moines shortly after midnight to go to the assistance of the wrecked train and with men to enter upon the pursuit of the robbers. Men will also depart on the Burlington and Missouri River and the Chicago and Northwestern roads this morning to scour the county north and south of the scene of the robbery and murder in search of the bold perpetrators of this horrid deed. $5,000 reward is offered for their capture. The Rock Island Depot in Council Bluffs was then located a few blocks from the rails west at 12th Avenue and South 10th Street, and the train was carrying over 100 passengers. The robbers were on the south side of the track and pulled the north rail. The engine was ditched and thrown on the north side of the track. The tender was piled on top of it, wrong and foremost and bottom side up. The front baggage car was headed up on the bank and the other one laid on its side. The train was stopped in a cut with banks at different places from five to 10 feet high. As soon as possible after the train was wrecked, Two of the banditti rushed for the express car for the treasure. The two robbers appeared, one masked, the other unmasked. The man with the mask pointed his revolver at Burgess and said, if you don't open the safe or give me the key, I'll blow your brains out. Of course, being unarmed and defenseless, he could only comply with the request and with a further order to sit down and keep his eyes off the unmasked man. <laughs> the remainder of the gang kept the passengers terrorized with pistols and cursing while assuring them that we're none of your petty thieves we're bold robbers we're robbing the rich for the poor we are crangers the identity of the rock island bandits was finally revealed by the council bluffs newspaper a week later two of the gang are the james boys of clay county missouri 
the same party which robbed the Cheriton and Clarendon banks. One of them is of the Rambo party which attempted to rob the Chillicothe bank, and the other two are supposed to belong to Pattonsburg or Chillicothe. The James brothers crossed the Hannibal and St. Joseph Railroad at Kidder last Friday morning before daylight on their way south, evidently going to their mother's house. In the evening, they stopped at the farmhouse of Mr. Bacon and wanted to stay all night. He refused. This Jesse James is known to be the chief of a gang of robbers, which is a terror from the headquarters in Clay County to Sherman, Texas. Indeed, when it is known that they have committed any depredations, everyone gives up further effort to capture them. That was the first of the six train robberies credited to the James gang. Jack Rafferty, the engineer killed in the crash, lived in East Des Moines and left behind a wife and two children. Nine years later, Jesse James was shot in St. Joseph, Missouri by Bob Ford. His brother, Frank James, charged a quarter for a tour of the James farm outside Kearney, Missouri, until he died in 1915 at the age of 72. Five shots rang out one October evening in 1900 on Burlington Passenger Train 22, which was stopped at gunpoint just south of Council Bluffs. A masked man with a revolver had appeared in the locomotive and stuck his pistol in engineer John Donnelly's face, telling him to slow up. That's when another masked bandit appeared. When the train stopped, Express Agent Baxter jumped from the Adams Express car and hid in the tall grass with his Winchester. Soon enough, the train crew were taken at gunpoint by the two robbers back to the express car. The bandits demanded that the car be opened, but Baxter was still hiding in the weeds on the other side of the tracks. The bandits' first attempt to blow the door of the express car failed, but they used two sticks of dynamite, which the newspaper reported blew the car door to smithereens. One robber climbed aboard the express car, while his companion marched the train crew back up the tracks at gunpoint. That's when Baxter rose out of the weeds and fired the five shots that killed the bandit dead. The train crew took off running, and the other robber fled south down the tracks, calling out, Frank, Frank. The corpse was put in the damaged express car, and the train was backed into the Burlington Depot in South Main, where a crowd had gathered. The newspaper reported that Conductor McGee pushed his lantern into the face of the dead man and said, Why, boys? That fellow got on up at the transfer and told me he wanted to ride down to the local depot. I said, all right. And that's the last I saw of him until now. As for the passengers, they knew less of the affair than anybody, except that they had been dragged out of bed and scared to death at the report that the train was being robbed. The Council Bluffs newspaper described the deceased desperado as having fair skin, sandy complexion, and wore a short sandy mustache. He was about five feet, 10 inches, and weighed about 175 pounds. He wore striped trousers, a pink shirt, and a dark coat and vest. A pair of overalls with a jacket of the same material covered his suit, and over his face was a black mask reaching down the throat. The second bandit was tracked by Pottawatomie County Sheriff Cousins with two deputies and two bloodhounds. His mask was found torn in two, a half mile south of the train robbery. The trail went south to a fisherman's camp, but was lost before Hobo Island, a refuge of squatters and thieves on the Missouri River. In Council Bluffs, the unknown dead bandit became a three-day wonder 
and the newspaper reported that thousands of people viewed the body of the dead train robber, with crowds that began to pass through the store at daybreak and continued until late last night. Officers were necessary to keep the crowd in line, and about 10 were allowed to enter the morgue at a time. The spectators were men, women, and children. Women with babies in their arms went through. After the city schools were dismissed in the afternoon, whole droves of children passed through to see the body. Almost everyone thought he looked familiar, but no one could identify him. Photographs were distributed of the dead man, one that visibly showed the gunshot wounds, and another that had the corpse sitting in a chair, the eyes wide open, and the facial expression almost showing a smile. The body was dressed in a full suit of clothes, complete with a hat. On a quiet fall evening in the Council Bluffs rail yard, a pair of young brothers and their two Confederates robbed a train and managed to unwittingly pull off the biggest mail robbery in history. It's November 1920. The mail of Burlington train number eight was loaded at the mail transfer yards about 6.30 Saturday evening. 20-year-old Merle Phillips, a railroad mail handler, walked to the engine of number eight and asked engineer Alonzo Quinby for a ride to the Burlington passenger station a few blocks away on South Main Street. Phillips kept engineer Quinby engaged in conversation, and nobody noticed teenagers Orville Phillips and Fred Poffenberger breaking into a mail storage car on the train. Six blocks away was a switch where the Illinois Central and the Burlington tracks crossed, and number eight would need to make a complete stop. A fourth Confederate, 24-year-old Keith Collins, waited in a stolen Maxwell sedan at that spot. Train number eight departed on schedule and stopped at the dead switch at 11th Avenue between 14th and 16th Streets. Orville Phillips and Poffenberger kicked open the door and tossed 10 mail sacks to the ground. They closed the door and carried their loot to the sedan. Had they not carelessly in their haste left a bag behind on the ground, their deed likely wouldn't have been discovered until the train reached Chicago. As it happened, Burlington foreman Dan Newberry was hitching a ride on the back of the train to the city depot. He noticed the mail sack laying trackside and alerted railroad officials. Engineer Quinby mentioned Merle Phillips' name to investigators as having possibly been acting suspiciously about the time of the robbery, and Phillips was arrested at the UP transfer when he came to work the next day. He was uncooperative at first, saying he had nothing to do with the robbery itself, but merely stood watch on a locomotive at the insistence of two guys he just met in a pool hall. He later said he'd been double-crossed. He was to meet the others at 12th Street and 5th Avenue to divide up the take, but waited two hours, and nobody ever showed up to cut him in. It's believed the robbers were seeking whatever they could come across in cash. Poffenberger's last heist at the Howard Cafe netted just three bucks, they had no idea their hold this time would be worth over three and a half million dollars. This immediately put the entire Council Bluffs and Omaha law enforcement departments on high alert and sent postal inspectors and U.S. Marshals from across the country racing to Council Bluffs. $50,000 of the take was in cash, and Collins and Poffenberger had apparently double-crossed the Phillips boys and split the money. All but about $2,500 of the cash was recovered from an assortment of hiding places, ranging from a bread tin to a can hung by a string from the seat of an outhouse. Of more of a financial concern was $50,000 in unregistered Liberty Bonds. Collins claims he found them in the bags, didn't really know what they were, so put them in an old suitcase weighted with rocks and tossed them into the Missouri River from the Douglas Street Bridge. 
Despite dragging the river and repeated sessions with Collins, including an offer of $10,000 to be paid Collins and Poffenberger when they got out of jail, if they'd help recover those bonds, no trace of the bonds was ever found. After spending $90,000 on the investigation for legal and detective fees, the insurance company settled by paying the full claim for the stolen bonds. For insuring those bonds, the company had collected just a $36 premium. The loss from the Council Bluffs robbery was followed by a rash of copycat robberies and holdups across the country aimed at stealing bail. When sentencing Poffenberger, Collins, and the Phillips brothers, Judge Wade summed up the situation by stating, this mail robbery has caused more big crimes in the country than anything that's happened for a generation. Robberies of the mail have become so frequent that the government will be obliged to place guards on all the mail cars when anything of value is carried. The Postal Service responded by arming all of its railway mail service staff and its transfer clerks. Some insurance companies withdrew from insuring registered mail entirely. The Council Bluffs robbers were sentenced to terms of 12 to 18 years in Leavenworth Prison. The insurance company that suffered the loss assigned an investigator to work full-time on the case and locate the missing bonds. Searchers dragged the river again, and the prisoners were interrogated several times, all to no avail. 100 years later, the money has never been recovered. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Accidentally Historic, a podcast of the Historical Society of Pottawatomie County. Mariel Wagner is our president. Our museum's director is Cat Slaughter. I'm Richard Warner.